This is a personal and private recording by a member of the U.S. Air Force. Codename, Project Blue Book. Case file, 11004. Designated, Stonefall. January 2nd. Stonefall's history is an interesting one. When New Haven was created as the first American town, Stonefall was created by the people who didn't want anything to do with it. The town's main export, although export feels like a grand word for such a small place, is cranberries. There is apparently a local story that if anyone from Massachusetts, famous for its cranberry growing, walks into Stonefall, then they're swiftly turned back around. It's that kind of local story that's probably bullshit, but helps the people feel a sense of community, and us versus them. So naturally, when a celebrated local story is about how they don't like strangers, they didn't react kindly to my arrival. It wasn't unkind, but it was that unspoken suspicion of someone new and different. Everyone's very close here, and I respect that. It's unrealistic to say that everyone knew Johnny and Martha Lewis, but everyone probably had some kind of connection to them. I never really expected them to welcome me with open arms. The really interesting thing is why it's called Stonefall. Because no one is entirely keen to tell me. My train arrived in New Haven, and I was picked up and driven to Stonefall by the local sheriff. It's an understatement to say you can't see the woods for the trees. The town looks as if it's been carved out of its surroundings or dropped in from above. Just outside the town, there's a huge old house with a big estate. I asked the sheriff who lived there, and he said it had been empty for years. They'd checked there for Johnny and Martha already. On the other side of the road, if road was the right word for what we were driving down, were the cranberry farms. A couple of farm buildings next to them. We checked there too, the sheriff assured me. It has been known that a female member of the U.S. Air Force will raise a few eyebrows, but the sheriff seems unbothered. Cheerily, he talked about his wife and kids, and how they knew Johnny and Martha, and how it's shocking, but he hates to admit it. There's no clue to where they've gone. I told him that's why I was there. But there was every chance my own investigation would have no connection to the kids. I wasn't there to fix their problems but to make sure there weren't going to be any bigger ones. There is, of course, protocol if we ever find evidence that extraterrestrial life exists. It's my belief that this protocol, which goes beyond the usual protocol of ignore it, has already been used several times. Stonefall itself is beautiful, in a rustic kind of way. It feels so out of the way that it's the kind of safe haven American mommies and daddies must dream about their kids growing up in. Oh, there's something about it that gives me the creeps. Maybe it's because I'm from the city, a place which can never hide its flaws. The people of Stonefall would have had a very good time to get good at just that. I was aware that people were watching me as I stepped out of the sheriff's car. I avoided eye contact. I asked to be thrown in at the deep end, which, on reflection, was maybe a bad choice of phrase, and was taken to speak to the parents.
They were interesting people. Their house was kitsch, and every inch of it had been thought through. Grace looked very proud of it, and Peter looked like he didn't suit the environment at all. It was a family home, for sure, full of sentimental items and lots of little things that made it seem real, but it all seemed a bit clean and clinical. These people's lives had been thrown into turmoil for almost a week, and their surroundings weren't yet showing signs of being frayed. Peter shook my hand, firmly, and gave me that stranger-slash-woman look that I'm so used to. The sheriff made the small talk with them, asked them how they were, while I took a quick glance around. There were a few crucifixes hanging up. Peter introduced me to Grace, and she wasn't as upset as I thought she'd be. Not that she seemed okay, but I just expected a sense of hopelessness. There was a palpable sense of loss, of emptiness in the room, but there was still optimism. So I think in a way, Grace and Peter pained me far more than I thought they would. They had a sense of hope that I couldn't read on the sheriff's face. Maybe that's why everything in their home still looked so ordered. They were trying to keep up their spirits and maintain a sense of normality. I'm dreading having to see them again. They told me about Johnny first. He was a bit all over the place, a bit of a loose cannon. He was very well behaved in public, but at home he could be a riot. Peter said he'd been disciplining him, but it was only starting to take effect now. It was reiterated that Johnny would never have led his sister astray, they'd never have disobeyed their parents, and they'd never have gone far out into the woods unless they were taken there. I told them that the woman who had sighted them had seen them on their own. Their opinion of her was difficult to listen to, and seemed largely to be based on the colour of her skin. The sheriff told me later that Louise Finch was a trusted member of the congregation, and that the Lewis's opinions were not shared by other residents of the town. I asked them whether Johnny was always well behaved in public. His parents said yes. Then they told me about Martha. The genius of the family, her dad called her, but all she wants to do is go into the family business. This, as it turns out, was Cranberries. Grace was worried about Martha wasting her brain, but then expressed interest in her pursuing something more feminine. They reiterated that Martha would never have led her brother astray and that she was too smart to disobey her parents or go into the woods at night. Despite what her parents believe, the kids must have got there somehow. I then asked them about the lights. Their statement hadn't mentioned them seeing any, and they seemed confused about why and even what I was asking them. I explained that many of the residents had seen them above the woods. Several lights in a row, or perhaps a searchlight? They said they hadn't seen anything. I asked them if they noticed it was a full moon and Peter said he thought it wasn't. I then tried to make some small talk with them, and I asked them a little about the history of the town and why it had such an unusual name. Again, they shifted uncomfortably. The sheriff reacted awkwardly too and answered on their behalf. It has something to do with our history, he explained. Not many of us like dwelling on it. 
I now have a room above the bar. I can hear the noise from downstairs. The window's open, and I can smell the river drifting in. I can feel the breeze on the back of my neck, like someone's breath. Tomorrow I need to talk to Louise Finch and take a walk through the woods. But right now, I can hear someone crying. It sounds like they're just outside my window. I can't tell if it's a man or a woman. It's pretty late. I wonder why someone would be out there. I'm going to take a look. Good night. Stonefall was created and written by James Mortimer, read by Rebecca Malewish. Music from freeplaymusic.com and by Kevin McLeod at incomptech.com, licensed under Creative Commons. Follow Stonefall Drama on Twitter for updates.